0: Hello and welcome to Sunday's at Coastal. This week Pastor Andy teaches a sermon out of Luke chapter 2 titled The Junior High Jesus. Through His Son, God drew near to us when we hated Him. Will He remain distant now that we have hope we can please Him? He eagerly suffered for us when we were failing as orphans. Will He cross His arms over our failures now that we are His adopted children? His heart was gentle and lonely toward us when we were lost. Will his heart be anything different towards us now that we are found? Find your rest in the promise that God will be forever present through every season of your life. Good morning. Merry Christmas. I hope to see you guys on Christmas
1: Eve. It's going to be so great. Uh, lessons and carols, and we'll all sing together. It's going to be. It's going to be wonderful. Um, If you are new or visiting with us this morning, uh, uh, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you've been dragged here against your will, welcome. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Uh, We believe in three things at this church. Uh, Number one, there's always hope beyond our brokenness, always. There's no time, no place where you are not welcome here. All of us have a journey with God, a journey in which we doubt Him and we... uh, don't misunderstand him. And then we meet Jesus and and we start beginning to trust him. And then even as we cross that threshold into that relationship with Jesus, we still have difficulties. We still have seasons of heartache and brokenness. And I want you to know that you're so welcome here. Second, we are called to trust in our risen Savior. That's not perform. That's not pretend. That's not Um, uh, Hope that everything's great as you paint your life with a religious paintbrush. No, it's trust. And trust requires honesty and vulnerability and all the courage that you have. Uh, And it is the best ride you will ever have in your life. Um, It is not all sunshine and puppy dog kisses, uh, but it is so much better than the alternative. And Jesus is alive and present. He really is risen. And then finally, we get to bring restoration right where we are. And you guys are doing that in incredible ways. And it is such a blessing to be a part of a church that sees how we can make a difference in our, our world right here and our world abroad. And you guys have just done that in absolutely spectacular ways. And it is such a privilege to be a part of this church. Um, so That's what we believe, and each one of those beliefs has a choice that we make as followers of Jesus that's intentional, that we make every day. So can we declare this together like we do every week? We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So uh, this morning, can I speak to your heart of hearts? Yes. Would that be okay? I want you to know that um, that as we... We're going to talk about Jesus as a junior hire today. Uh, And uh, there's this moment where um, he's lost, not like lost in the mall, right? That's a uniquely Gen X experience when people went to such things as malls, as well as getting lost in the mall. Uh, if you're older than that, it would be you were lost in the department store. Uh, if you're younger than that, you've never been lost because you've never been left out of the house. Your parents would not allow you to play outside without uh, supervision. Uh, so so uh, there's this amazing moment where, uh, where Joseph and Mary, they walk back in and they find Jesus. And he says... They say, "What are you doing? Where have you been?" And Jesus says, "Well, I'm about my father's business i'm about I'm about this place, my father's house." And so often in our lives um, we we wake up one day and we realize that we say, "God, where are you and And God says, "Well, no no, no where are you?" and Jesus has been about his father's business, his father's heart, his father's kingdom, while we've been off doing our own thing. And I would like to invite you back this morning into the heart of God so that you would be about his business. And I know that, that you're, you're here because that's what you want. So can I pray for that for us this morning? Would that be Okay. Jesus, uh, first we just bind up and silence anything opposed to you that's here, um, and we cast anything opposed to you that's at, that can be cast out and be gone now in Jesus' name, no matter if we're at home listening or like Joe in bed or here. God, it doesn't matter where we are or when we are. Lord, we need your protection. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and that you would draw our spirits and Our thinking and our believing and our acting so that we might be about your business, that we might be about your heart, Heavenly Father, that we might know you and understand you and fall ever more deeply in love with you. So God, bring change and renewal and restoration. To our hearts and our mind and our body and our spirit today. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Dane Ortland wrote this amazing book called um, Gentle and Lowly. And in it, he writes this. The gospel is the invitation to let the heart of Christ calm us into joy for we've already been discovered, included, brought in. We can bring our up and down moral performance into subjection to the settled fixedness of what Jesus feels about us. Do you know Do you believe what Jesus feels about you, what your heavenly Father feels about you? Are you aware? Has it formed your thinking and your acting and your relationships of how God truly feels about you? Because he adores you and he wants you and he loves you, and he chooses you. That's what today's about. Jesus, 12 years old, sitting in his father's house, the temple, because Jesus wants his entire life to be focused on his father's heart. So Luke tells the story of Jesus at the age of 12 because he talks to who? talks to Mary, right? Luke, uh, Luke knew Mary, and Luke wasn't one of the 12 disciples. Um, some scholars think that Luke was part of that larger 70 um, that ended up following Jesus and ended up leaving when Jesus had some hard words to say to them. We know for sure that Luke was a physician. He grew up in modern-day Turkey. Um, here's a map of modern-day Turkey. Um, and you can see here, um, th- There's, there's uh, see where it says Syria on the right, the far right? Up above there, there's a little town uh, called Aleppo. Uh, and and th- to the west of that, where that red arrow is, is Antioch. That's where Luke uh, grew up. It's in modern-day Turkey right now. And we know that Luke interviewed all of the living disciples that were around him at the time and as well as Mary. Now picture this, after spending weeks, if not months, with Mary, talking with her, learning from her, hanging out with her, writing every word that we have in Luke's gospel about the birth of Jesus, all of the angels, all of the wise men, all of that came from Luke's time interviewing Mary. Uh, Luke asks, I'm imagining Mary, a question like, Mary, tell me what Jesus was like when he was a junior hire. Right? That time when, like, kids molt. Right? <laughs> like they transform into a different species of human being called a teenager and then into an adult. And she's telling story after story of Luke as a junior hire. And Luke knows as he's traveling back to where he lived that he's got to pick the right story to help us understand who Jesus is. And so I'm sure Mary didn't tell one story. She probably told a lot of stories, right? So what's the one story that Luke picks? Luke wants us to know what the junior high Jesus already knows. So are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, read with me. Luke chapter 2 verse 41. Now, every year his parents went to Jerusalem. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. So, like all families in Israel, Joseph and Mary take their growing tribe of children and they had plenty Luke had or uh, Jesus had brothers and sisters, right? Um, and this is Joseph and Mary's biological children Okay, that go uh, to Jerusalem twice a year for the high holy days Passover in spring right after the barley harvest and Yom Kippur in the fall right after the wheat harvest does that make sense agricultural community once the harvest is done there's nothing to do for a couple of weeks it's time off for farmers and so can you imagine if every spring and every fall the entire central coast all of the five cities okay walked together to Santa Barbara It's 90 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem, it's 90 miles from here to Santa Barbara. What if we all walked together Every house empty, every field harvested, and the 101 was filled with 45,000 people walking to Santa Barbara. Take about a week, okay? And it would be an amazing experience, but we all did this twice a year, walking there, hanging out in Santa Barbara for a week, walking back together twice a year, 45,000 people, okay? After 9, 10, 11 years, we'd all be experts at this trip. Yes? Right? And what would happen to our kids? Well, you know, we'd all travel together as a big herd, and when kids and families all travel together as a big herd, they clump together. Mothers clump and complain about their husbands, and husbands (laughs) clump and complain about other things, and and (laughs) children... Children all, you know, they become like a wild pack of animals, right? And they run and they dart and they... So this is going to happen. So this is how Jesus grew up. This is how all the kids grew up. They would dart in and out and just like, you know, I don't know if... Well, this was my generation, not the younger generations, but my generation. I don't know about you, but like in the summertime when we weren't in school, you know, would my mom say, probably same thing your mom said, you know, come back when it's dark you know, but get out. (laughs) Like, there was no Xbox, there was no television, you had to turn the knob by hand, so, you know, you were, you know, it was either watch Days of Our Lives with mom or go do something else. She was at work, she never watched that show, but, uh, you know, so it was mom and dad go to work, this is my household, and so my brother and I are out you know, and foraging for food and whatever it is else that we did, you know, and then we would come back at dark. That was summertime. And summertime, sometimes I wouldn't come back for four or five days. I would call my mom, I'm staying at Ben's house, Oh, now we're staying at Austin's house, Oh, now we're going to Scott's house. And she'd be like, great, you know. My child didn't come back for four or five days right now. I have two kids in high school. I would rejoice. Uh, so, year after year, they leave the Central Coast, they walk for a week. You know, at nighttime, Jesus comes back with his buddies to sit around the campfire to have Mary's famous chili and whatever, right? But that's how it works, right? And then they arrive in Jerusalem, they do their thing, and then they walk back, and that's family vacation. Um, until Jesus was in junior high, then everything fell apart. This was the trip. The trip. Verse 43. Read with me. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. They're not being neglectful. They're just... That's just how it is. They're like, well, we'll see a campfire tonight. And then they walk. Okay? So Jesus is like, I'm staying in the big city, right? And like all junior high boys, Jesus is focused on one thing, right? When Jonah, my oldest, was in junior high, he was focused on food, still is, right? But when he was laughing, he was laughing, focused on one thing. Levi, our youngest, when he was in junior high, still kind of to this day, he can do one thing at a time, right? And his one thing, when he was in junior high, he finally got an Xbox, And so he started playing Xbox, and it didn't matter if his dog was eating his $400 retainer right in front of him, he's playing Xbox. Didn't matter if not once, not twice, but three times, Jonah got out of his room, went into the bathroom right next to Levi, literally in front of his face, and shoved an entire toilet paper roll down the toilet and then flushed it and did that for so long that a 1,000 gallons of water an inch and a half deep was on Levi's carpet. It didn't matter if that was happening around him. The water is to his ankles. He's still playing Xbox. (laughs) Junior high. One thing, that's it. What's Jesus focused on? Jesus focused on his heavenly father's heart. So his parents leave Jerusalem for home, and Mary asks Joseph, where's Jesus? And Joseph Joseph is like, and Mary's like, dude, you had one job. I gave birth. You're supposed to keep him alive. You literally lost the savior of the world. Is that what you're telling me? We went through the angels together. We went through the wise men. We escaped Herod the murder. We lived in Egypt, right? We finally left Bakersfield, came back here. And now you're telling me you've lost the Messiah? And Joseph's like, mm-hmm. He should be home any minute. And Mary's like, he better be. I cannot wait to find him. Then I'm going to kill him. All right? I'm mad that he's lost. I hate, I love him to death. But then when I find him, then I, then I get to kill him, right? <laughs> Verse 44, assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey, right? Mary's like, Joseph, where is he? Joseph's like, he will be fine, darling. He always shows up. Don't worry about it. Mary's like, I'm worried. Joseph's like, honey, you worry about everything, right? That's, your, that's, what, that's what moms do, right? Moms worry about every single thing. Why? Because every single thing matters. What do dads do? You know, let's find a way to somewhat endanger our children's lives. Football, yes. Motorcycles, absolutely. Right? Let's take them camping, but don't tell mom what happened. You know, uh, these are things dads say, right? Uh, So that night, after an entire day of walking, so that's like 15 miles, right? Right? Jesus doesn't show up for dinner. And Mary's like, Joseph, Joseph, honey, j- honey, Joseph, right? And, and then verse 45, then they start getting worried. And when they did not find him, have you ever had that moment as a parent? Yes, yes. You're like, where did she go? Where did he go? And that, I mean, you have absolute panic. I have had people knock on my front door Right? And I've opened my front door, and there's Jonah, our oldest, who has cerebral palsy, and a stranger. And they say to me, we found him in the middle of the street. I didn't even have time to panic. I just panicked afterwards, right? Little escape artist. So when they arrive, right, then they did not find him. So they're searching frantically. So what do they do? Mary's like, do something, Joseph, now, right now. And Joseph's like, I have an idea. Let's go back to Jerusalem. So that's like another 15-mile walk, right? So that's an all-day walk, okay? They arrive in Jerusalem. They go back to, you know, the Marriott where they were staying. (laughs) Nothing, right? No Jesus, okay? Okay. They look for all the different places that they stayed, all the different restaurants that they ate at, no Jesus, no Jesus, no Jesus. And they search and search and search for Jesus for, uh, for like a, a full day and a half, okay? Verse 46, after three days, they found him. Why did I say after a day and a half? A, right. Because they got to walk, and then he's there, and then they're searching. And then after a day and a half, that's that's when Mary started to hit Joseph and really motivate him, right? That's sort of, you will find our son now. And they're searching, and they're panicking, and they're crying, and they're searching, and they're panicking, and they're crying, and they don't know what to do. And so they go to church to pray. And when they go to church to pray... After three days, read with me, they found him in the temple. Now, every word weighs 100 pounds after that comma, okay? First word, sitting among the teachers. That's the rabbis. Rabbi means teacher. He's sitting among the teachers. Here's another 100-pound word. Listening to them. Here's a 500-pound word. And asking them... Questions, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Joseph and Mary cannot believe what they're seeing. They hang back for a moment and just watch. They didn't rush in. Mary didn't be like, Jesus, and then come here and grab him by the ear and yank him out, right? Mary's like, he comes in and then immediately Joseph's like, honey, and they watch their 12-year-old boy. What's the first thing that he's doing? Sitting. Sitting. Disciples of rabbis don't sit. Rabbis sit. We have it opposite in, in churches. If you sat, then you taught, teachers sat, if you listened, then you stood, okay? Disciples stood behind their rabbis. Rabbis sat in a circle and talked to each other, okay? Disciples stood back behind them. So if you're sitting, what are you doing? Teaching. Now, in order to become a rabbi, you had to memorize all of the Old Testament and all of the 623 rules and laws that governed your life as a faithful Jew and what every rabbi had ever written about the law and how to be faithful. That's what it takes to be a rabbi. You have to memorize it. Of course, things were back in... There were scrolls back in the day, not books with pages. That's called a folio. That's a new invention, right? Invented in the 1380s. Before then, it was just all scrolls. A rabbi could stick a pin through the scroll and name every letter that the pin would go through. That's how that's how well they knew the scriptures. Okay. So when you sit, that's not a small deal. That is a big deal. Second, Jesus is listening. Have you ever known a junior high boy that listens? This is evidence that he is God and man. Amen? Okay. Next, Jesus is what? Asking them questions. You don't ask questions unless you're a rabbi. That's it. Rabbis taught by asking questions. That's why Jesus responded to so many people by asking a question or telling a parable. That's how rabbis did it. You would ask a question of a rabbi or you'd pose a problem or an issue, and then the rabbi would ask you a question. Why? Because it makes you think. It makes you responsible for doing the intellectual work. What do junior hires do to us? They make us do all of the intellectual work. Have you seen my pants? Do you know how to breathe? Right? They're like, I can't find my phone. Where is it? That's what junior hires do. They make you do all the thinking, and you think you've lost your mind. You haven't. My mother would always tell to me, you're like sucking my brain out, (laughs) right? Only when you're a rabbi could, and, and you've memorized every good question that every other rabbi asked, would you dare to have the audacity to ask another question? Because asking a question would mean that you have something new to offer on Scripture. Do you know any 12-year-old that can open up the Bible and somehow create, unearth something new that men and women who've had multiple doctorates that have been studying it their entire lives have yet to see? What did Jesus have to offer? Jesus knew his heavenly father's heart like no one else. And how did the brightest minds in all of Israel, the road scholars, the, the certified geniuses, the smartest, most brilliant men In the entire nation Gathered at the cultural And intellectual And theological epicenter Of the entire nation of Israel How did they respond Did they dismiss Jesus Were they angry with Jesus Did they flick him off Like the insignificant junior hire That he was What did they do And all who heard him were Amazed At his Understanding Understanding, you need to understand this word. That's a double entendre I've made on purpose. <laughs> understanding, what is that word? In the Greek, understanding, next slide, understanding is this word, sunesis. Sunesis And sunesis means understanding or knowledge. And when you study that word and dive down into its root and meaning, it's a knowledge that comes when God opens your eyes, when God awakens your heart so that you can see his heart. That's what understanding is. That makes sense? Think of synesis like, um, like the, the moment after you fell in love. The moment after you met your soulmate. There, there was life before, and you had an, a knowledge about what love was, and then the moment that you fell in love and you met your soulmate, that's when everything changed. And now you knew. Now you had understanding. Does that make sense? It's the moment that you held your child in your hands for your first time. You had anticipated what it would be like to be a parent, but then the moment that baby came, now you had sunnasis understanding. Does that make sense? When you understand God's heart, it would be the moment that like you knew, oh, there's about God, like that horrible Bette Midler song, he's out there and somewhere in the distance, right? It's like, oh, that's like I know about God, sort of like I know about LeBron James. I don't know LeBron James. I just know that he exists, right? Do you know who LeBron He's a basketball guy. I'm talking to a bunch of middle-aged white people. Uh, uh, do you know who Jimmy Buffett is? You know, like you don't know him, but you know about him. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. All um, right. Synesis is when God opens up your heart and awakens it so then you would understand His. That's synesis. There's a famous passage in the book of Isaiah that uses the word synesis. In in the book of Isaiah, God gives Isaiah a mission. It's a horrible mission. And Isaiah just got done telling God, here I am, send me. He said this vision of God in the temple and the angel comes and like touches his lips with the coal from the temple and God sends, who shall I send? And Isaiah goes, send me. And then God gives Isaiah this mes- mission and he's going to preach to every town and village in Israel. God said, go and say to this people, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand, or sunesis, make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds, but turn with a sunesis in their heart and then be healed. God tells Isaiah, you're going to tell all of Israel, the story about my heart. And they're not going to be able to understand it by listening or by seeing or by comprehending because they're they're already inoculated. They've already been to church too many times to figure that out. They've heard the story and watched the nativity and sung the songs and they've done it all and it just bounces off. What they need is a sunesis in their heart. That's what you need too. That's what I need. And what are the greatest pastors and theologians and intellectual giants saying about this junior high, high boy sitting in their midst? Man, they, they're they like, man, I, they cannot believe that he has sunasis. It's Next, next slide, Denise. Synesis is gained when, you're, when you turn your heart towards God and understand that God's heart has always been turned towards you. To understand your heavenly far... Ha, did I just say fart? I think I did. Did I say that? Now I did. There's a third. Sorry, I apologize. I don't want to be crude or crass. Um, to understand your heavenly Father's heart. Um, stay, stay with me, folks. Stay with me. The first thing that, the first thing that we do is that we think um, God is either indifferent to us or that God is like a, a Santa Claus. He just is sort of like an ATM, right? And he just is supposed to bless us and make our life better, and then we don't have to do anything. There's not really any relationship there. He just He's just this cash cow. Or we think that God is somehow mad or frustrated with us. And, and then we read scripture, and we hear about the call towards obedience or the call towards repentance, and then we think, oh, man, God, God must be really mad at me. Um Or or we make another mistake, which is to say, well, God doesn't really care about that whole sin is death thing. I guess that's just an old antiquated idea, which it's not. And then we can get into one or two traps, one of which is that we think that um, God God doesn't really want us to live a life intimacy with him. He just is going to bless whatever we decide. Or we make the opposite mistakes, which is, is that we're so... Scared that God is angry and mad at us, that we think that we have to deal with all of our stuff before we can get to God. And, and both are places of alienation from God. Both are places of false religiosity. Both are places where we're just focused on ourselves. Either our desire to improve ourselves by our own power or our desire to live our lives by ourselves with no account of God whatsoever in them. But synesis, or an understanding of God, is understanding that, that when I meet God and when I know God, that I discover two things, that I'm more broken than I'd want to admit, and that I'm more loved than I could ever dare to hope, and that the way in which God interacts with me is always, always, always through Jesus. Who died when I hated God for me. Who's given his very life for me. Who's faithful to me even when I'm unfaithful to him. Who loves me and is calling me forward deeper, more into a life of joy and obedience and trust. So Mary and Joseph are there. They're in the temple. They're looking at Jesus, sitting with the rabbis, asking questions like a rabbi. And all of Israel's brain trust is there, amazed at what Jesus is saying. Joseph is beaming, maybe not on the outside, but on the inside for sure. Mary is astonished too. But based on the question she asks next, I think her astonishment is tinted with just a touch of anger. Instead, she says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, child? (laughs) Or in other translations, boy? Why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I, been searching for you, and I've been freaking out for three days. Right? If I was Jesus, I'd be like, Mom, don't embarrass me in front of my friends. (laughs) Right? You ever done that to your junior hires? Just scream at them when they're coming out of, like, the the junior high school. Hey, we're over here! Honk your horn a bunch. Right? Just watch them melt in anxiety. Right? Their friends are like, who's that? And they're like, I don't know. I'm going to walk home seven miles by myself. I don't care. Right? I'm like, God, why do you do that? So mad. How does Jesus respond? Verse 49. This is fantastic. Jesus said to them, why were you searching for me? Full stop. That's like, that's such a junior high response. It's not even funny, right? It's like when you find your junior hire, like lighting the dog on fire. What are you doing? What do you mean? Right? Or whatever it is, you know. They've taken, they've taken, like, your most expensive thing, and you're, they're using it. They're like, they have, to, they have to nail something. They have to nail a nail in the wall, so they pick up, like, your family heirloom and start, like, smashing it into the... Right? Like, that's how junior hires think, right? He says, why were you searching for me? At, and Mary's like... She's got the excuse, right? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The literal translation of the Greek phrase that the junior high Jesus uses is this, did you not know that I'm about my father's business? Of course, Jesus is sitting in this heavenly father's earthly house, the temple, so that phrase makes sense, but no one ever talked about God in terms of heavenly father in that day. God was Lord, God was Savior, God was Almighty, not heavenly father. Jesus has an understanding of his heavenly father's heart that God is first our good, good father. And Jesus basically saying to his parents, I'm about everything that my heavenly father is about. I'm about his business, his will, his plan, his purpose, his heart. That's the junior high Jesus's response to his mother's Boy, where have you been? How did Joseph and Mary respond? Verse fifty. Read this with me. But they did not. They did not suonasus. Of course, this is funny. Mary and Joseph are gobsmacked. They just walked fifty miles, spent three days looking for Jesus, and he says to them, "Why were you looking for me?" Duh, right? They're like, gee, we thought you'd be with every other junior high. Did you see, Suzanne? She's cute. <laughs> like, you've been talking her all the way down. Like, I, like, we thought you were with her, right? We have food. You live here. We thought you'd be with us. Mary and Joseph don't understand what Jesus is about. What's the point? The point is this. I mean, you can be Jesus's parents and still not understand his heart. You can go to church every week and still miss the heart of God. You think you know God's heart? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't fully. I was talking to a friend this last week, and they asked me a question that rocked me to my core. They said this, Andy, why don't you believe Jesus is the same kind of father that you are to your boys? Jesus has always understood his heavenly Father's heart, and Jesus' essential purpose is to show or demonstrate or to make manifest, make real his heavenly Father's heart as it is in heaven here on earth. And what is our heavenly Father's heart? Paul, the apostle, puts it like this in Romans. Read this with me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you say, well, Andy, that's great, but still it feels like God's so far away. I've said yes to Jesus, but then I have all these roadblocks in my life and I feel like I can't hear his voice or I don't know what to do next or the suffering keeps on coming up or I still am stressed or I ask Jesus for help and I, I don't know what's, gonna, what's it going to look like. Or maybe you say, yeah, Andy, I'm all in with Jesus, but I never feel like I'm doing enough or I'm doing it right. I have an answer for you. The logic of God's heart goes like this. Through his Son, he drew near to us when we hated him. Will he remain distant now that we hope we can please him? He eagerly suffered for us when we were failing as orphans. Will he cross his arms over our failures now that we are his adopted children? Four people got the answer right. Will he? Oh. His heart was gentle and lowly toward us when we were lost. Will his heart be anything different toward us now that we are found? He loved us in our mess then. Read this with me. He will love us in our mess now. Yeah, you say, but no. Listen. The agony that you're experiencing over the sin and brokenness in your life is directly a result of the fact that you belong to your heavenly father if you didn't care about what you were doing that hurt other people, that would be evidence of your lostness. Does that make sense? The fact that you want to grow deeper with Jesus is evidence of your foundedness. We are not who we were. Our hearts have been changed by the very heart of God. And God's heart has never, ever grown cold to you. Ever. Amen. So, do you want understanding? Do you want synesis of God's heart? Then turn your heart towards God because you're finally convinced that living apart from Him is killing you. Turn your heart towards God because you're finally convinced that living apart from Him is killing you. Begin to hate the things that are killing you. Begin to say, I don't want that in my life anymore. And the solution isn't to try and fix that by myself. The solution is to turn your heart towards God and to cry out to him all day. You could pray a prayer with me. Let me show you what you're getting into before you say yes. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, I want to know your heart this Christmas. Open my eyes. Awaken my own sleeping heart. Heavenly Father, give me Jesus' heart, a heart that loves you that can see you clearly and wants to be only about your business, your house, your things, and your will. Would you like to pray that with me? Heavenly Father, I want to know your heart this Christmas. Open my eyes. Awaken my own sleeping heart. Heavenly Father, give me Jesus' heart, a heart that loves you, that can see you clearly and wants to be only about your business, your house, your things, your will. I'm imagining Luke listening to the story from Mary. And I'm imagining him shaking his head in wonder and laughter and awe. And then Luke asks the question we would all ask, Mary, what happened next? And Mary responds, well, he came home with us. He's a great kid. So Luke writes, verse 51, then Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother, read with me, his mother treasured all these things. In where? Her heart. It wasn't just an intellectual exercise for Mary. She began to think, Am I about my father's business? Where in my life have I just said, No, I want to do it my way and my timing? Where in my life, have I really, is my life really oriented around my heavenly father or am I asking my heavenly father to orient his life around me? Am I really saying at every step of my life, God, what would you like to be done? God, what's your will? Not, Lord, bless my will. Lord, bless my plan. but No, no, no. God, what would you like? Am I about my father's business or do I want my father to be about my business? When you treasure this in your heart this Christmas, Do so knowing that God loves you and He's with you in that conversation, and He'll never leave you, and you're in a process, and that process is okay. There's no condemnation in that process, and the Holy Spirit is moving in you and through you to shape you more and more and more and more into the very spitting image of Jesus because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's the author and... Perfector of your faith. So when you get anxious this Christmas, be calmed into rest by the settled fixedness that you belong to Jesus, that He loves you, and He's helping you learn and understand synasis, the heart of God, and what it looks like to be about our Father's business. And I want to encourage you. I have never, ever, ever been a part of a church that is doing our Father's business like this one. We're on the right track. We're not lost. Jesus isn't saying, where are you? We're with him. We're with him. And let's keep on going. I love you guys so much. I hope that this Christmas week is just beyond good for you. And I hope you can join us this Saturday, Christmas Eve, for our service at 530 here. Of candle lights and everything. And I hope that Christmas morning is glorious. Can I pray for us? Yeah. Jesus, would you bless and seal all these good things in our hearts today and give us the senesis that we need, the understanding that we need. Lord, I pray right now that For those of us who've just been laboring under the lie that you're disappointed or frustrated or irritated or indifferent towards us, that right now that lie would be shattered in Jesus' name and that we would walk out of the sanctuary absolutely convinced by you, Holy Spirit, that that today would be the day as we breathe in right now that you, Holy Spirit, would give us the understanding of how deeply and profoundly loved and valuable we are. We give you permission, Holy Spirit, to do this work in us. Lord, bless my friends. Bless their Christmas week. And God, we lift up all those who will be alone or missing their loved ones for those who will be in grief this week. And we pray your comfort and your hope and your peace around them. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand for the benediction? We got good food for for you today. Like always, it's calorie-free. does not count. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance, that's His delight in you, and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said? Amen. God bless you guys. I hope
0: Santa comes. Take care. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Ferrell Road, Grover Beach, California.